Our text this morning is found in Isaiah 12 and verse 3. Therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. If you have any understanding or knowledge of the book of Isaiah, you would know that he lived and served in a very difficult time. And friends, we can associate with that because we too are in difficult days. And the days of Isaiah were generally days of decline. And you don't need to have great insight to see that in society and in the direction of the land and in churches, things are not in a good way. And so here's the question, how is it then that Isaiah can be so joyful? How can he talk in this, uh, this lovely passage, which is really a hymn of praise, how can he talk about singing songs and, and praising the Lord as he does? Well, here is the answer, is because of the way that he was looking at this present life. You know, perspective is so important, and so much depends on the way that we look at life. And very simply for Isaiah at this point, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you know, he was not looking down, he was looking up. And having given a very full description of the troubles and the trials and the difficulties of his generation, he then lifts his eyes to heaven. And it's there that he sees something of the, the glory of God and the purposes of God. And as he looks to those things, he finds strength to praise the Lord. And that's the way of faith. You know, Isaiah is teaching us here not to look down, but to keep looking up to the Lord, to keep him in view. You know, it's so easy for us, isn't it? When we, when we focus only on ourselves or on our circumstances or on our problems or on our lack, it brings us down. But to look to the Lord gives fresh encouragement. And to remember that it's not men who are controlling the affairs of life, but it is the Lord whom we serve. And political leaders and church leaders, you know, sometimes they get it in their mind, affairs are in their hands. It's not true. You and I know that all the events and affairs of life are in the hands of our God. And so in the worst of times, we can sing a new song, the song of redemption. You know, think of Luke 21. The Lord Jesus, in one of his, his great blocks of teaching, describes the things that were going to happen in the future. And he speaks of, of natural disasters and wars and rumors of wars and, and terrifying sights and, and men's hearts failing because of fear. And all these things that the Lord Jesus underlines, and it's, a, it's a, a sobering, sobering portion of his teaching. But then he says in verse 28 of Luke 21, now when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. You know, that's the key. That's the thing. That's what Isaiah is exhorting us to do, to look up, to lift up our heads, to take our eyes from the things that cast us down, to set our eyes on what is eternal. And amongst these things he speaks about are these wells of salvation. And he speaks of the joy of drawing from these wells. It's a very striking picture. What does it mean? Well, let's ask some questions of our text, and hopefully it will help us. And so the first place to start, what are the wells of salvation? Well, the picture very simply points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the older commentators, Calvin, writes, the fountain or the well is Christ. 
in whom all God's benefits are imparted to us. You know, by faith in Christ, the believer has a well to draw from to get spiritual nourishment and help. This well of salvation, which, by the way, is invisible to the world. But for the believer, we have a source of strength and comfort and joy, which the world knows nothing of. Now, this picture of the well is very helpful to us. It makes it clear that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, has every kind of fullness which we poor dying sinners need. You know, if you read through your New Testament, and in particular, the statements made about the Lord Jesus, you know, it's a good exercise. See how many times, again and again, Christ is referred to in connection with the word fullness. There is fullness in Christ. For example, there is fullness of grace in Christ. You know, amongst other things, grace, you know, means supernatural spiritual energy. That which is necessary for us to live for the Lord when we come to the end of ourselves. When we come to the end of all our resources. When you think you, you can't go on another step, grace is given. Think of John 1.16. And of his fullness we have all received, speaking of believers, and grace for grace. That grace is sufficient for the Lord's people to keep them in a state of salvation and to continue the good work which God has begun within them. And there are different elements to this grace. Let me give you one example. There's something that we call prevenient grace. And that's the grace which he gives to us before we engage in any action or activity. There's a grace in Christ which goes before our very thoughts and actions. You know, it's this grace, by the way, which disposes us to believe the gospel. That grace has to be at work. We are incapable of believing the gospel until the Lord intervenes with such grace. It goes before us. And what does it find in us? Well, it finds our wills unwilling, but it transforms to make the unwilling willing. And then, you know, there are other types of grace, sustaining grace, continuing grace. Having begun the, the work in us, God sustains us, continues us, promotes that work until the day of Jesus Christ. We have a gracious Savior. And not only is there fullness of grace in Christ, but the New Testament also says there's a, a fullness of knowledge in Christ. Colossians 2 verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you know, as believers, we are continually being taught by the Lord Jesus through his word. And this fullness of knowledge and wisdom which Christ possesses is being given to us. And so when we're united to Christ, when we're in fellowship with him by faith, through the indwelling presence and work of the Holy Spirit, this wisdom... And this power is being afforded to us. You know, if you're here this morning, you need to know there are only two things, really, that you need to know in this life. And you say, well, what are they? Well, we need to know God, and we need to know ourselves. As soon as you know God truly and savingly, you know yourself. You know, the unbeliever has no knowledge of either God or himself. 
He's in the dark with regards his own true character and his sinful nature. He's in the dark concerning the reality of God and who God is and the fact that he is accountable to God. His ideas of God and his ideas of himself are, are totally wrong. But these are the vital things to know God and to know ourselves. And it's out of the fullness of Christ's knowledge and wisdom that we are being taught these things as the people of God. And so there's a, a fullness of knowledge that, that comes to us that is applied to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. And then also, there is another kind of fullness in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians 2, verses 9 to 10. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. You know, we've, we've just come through that, that season of Christmas when we thought of the Lord's first coming. And too often, you know, we can sort of pack it away for that season and then forget to think on it for the rest of the year. But how can we begin to comprehend the God-man? The Lord Jesus, fully man and yet fully God. There is a great mystery and wonder in those things. Great is the mystery of godliness. God manifest in the flesh. You know, who among us can truly begin to understand that Jesus Christ in his human nature is indwelt by the entire essence of God? That's the reality. And we affirm it on the word of God. He is the God-man redeemer. And because of that, there's also the fullness of the glory of God in Christ. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All the attributes of God shine in the Lord Jesus. It's one of the great privileges that we have if we are believers this morning that we see something of that glory by faith as we gaze on the Lord Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. The vision of the glory of God in the person of Christ is a sanctifying vision. We become like what we see. And so the more we gaze on Christ with the eyes of faith, the more that we are changed. Christ is central. Christ is key. And this is what Isaiah is saying. He's telling us the same thing. He uses this, this picture of the wells of salvation and he says we need to be drawing from these wells to be often dwelling on the person of Christ and the wonder of his, of his all-sufficiency. You know, drifting into error and trouble begins with low views of Jesus Christ. And all true gospel preaching preaches a Christ in whom there is all sufficiency and godhood and grace and glory. We cannot make too much of Jesus Christ. He must be front and center. If you want to be a, a growing and a faithful Christian to persevere through discouragements and darkness of the times, we have to drink from these wells of salvation to dwell on Christ, to be taken up with him, to set our eyes upon him. That is what we need. The reality is so often we're looking somewhere else. Christ is the well. And you say, well, well, what is the water 
in these wells. If Christ is the well, we have to distinguish the well from the water. You know, a normal well can run dry, but not this well. And the water in this well is spiritual life. That's why we read together John chapter 4, and, you know, if you want to cast your eyes over that, you could turn in the Scriptures to it. But John 4, the Lord Jesus, he comes to a literal well, and he meets a, a woman there, a Samaritan woman, and uh, they have this conversation, and the Lord begins to deal with her in this divine appointment. And Jesus says in verses 13 to 14, whoever drinks of this water, speaking of the, the literal well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. No wonder the woman says, verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. She brought her empty life to this wonderful source of living water, even Christ himself. And as the Lord deals with her, she brought her sinful past to the cleansing supply that only Jesus provides. She brought her, her hopes for the future to the one who knew everything about her and loved her still, enough to quench her thirst forever. And the Lord Jesus gives this spiritual water, this spiritual life that comes to those who trust him. And that's where faith is vital. As we come to Christ and believe in his fullness, so he imparts this life to us. I want to ask you this morning as you begin this new year, on what are you tempted to hang your hopes other than Jesus Christ? Would you look for your satisfaction other than to Jesus? He has offered you the drink that will quench your thirst forever and become a string that can never run dry. And he has taken what he does not deserve, the punishment for our sin upon the cross, so that he can give us what we don't deserve. Salvation and forgiveness and freedom and hope and joy. And that's why we're to draw from this saving well moment by moment, today and every day, and thirst no more. You know, one of the ways that this life is imparted to us is in the renewing and understanding of our minds. We don't understand anything spiritual until the Lord Jesus gives us the mind to understand his word. You know, if we think that we're capable of understanding spiritual things without the help of his gracious Holy Spirit, we are deceived. We must have this illumination given from the fullness of Christ. And this life not only renews our minds, but it cleanses the soul. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus in John 3? Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And the water that comes out of the well of the Spirit, which is, is Christ, is always powerful and sufficient to cleanse depravity and purify the hearts of those who are his people. Ephesians 5, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So our minds are renewed, our souls are cleansed, but even that doesn't exhaust the fullness of meaning which Isaiah is using. He's talking about the impartation of the spiritual life of Christ himself to his people, the union with him. 
It is a great sadness when we don't avail ourselves of this life which is in Christ. And we must plead with God that he will take the water from the well, that he will put it to our lips and satisfy our souls with this life. Christ is salvation. Drinking from these wells of salvation are the places and the times that we draw near to the Savior. When we drink from the, the springs of his truth and his power and his love and his glory. You know, if you're here this morning and you still know nothing of these things and you're without Christ, did you know that God is willing and able to impart to you this life, this grace? Christ is the well of salvation. He is full of blessing. He will give you this salvation. He will give you this life which is found only in him if you cry out to him. And friends, that's what we should be doing even if we are believers, to cry out to the Lord, to pray for his nearness and his help that we would know more of him and his presence in our lives. It's interesting when you come to this picture of the world's there are sometimes hindrances to drawing from the wells of salvation. Let me give you an illustration from the Old Testament. In the days of, of Abraham, the servants had dug various wells to be used for water for themselves and for their cattle. But the Philistines had come and they blocked them up as an act of aggression. And if you're to read in Genesis 26, you'll see that there's an ongoing conflict and Abraham's son Isaac has to dig them up again to open the wells so that there can be access to this water. You know, I just think that's such a, a helpful illustration of what we need to do in this generation. You know, our forefathers dug wells, as it were. They preached a, a true gospel. They preached a, a full Christ powerfully and abundantly. They served wholeheartedly. And we have a wonderful heritage in our country, even here in this place. And they dug the wells for people to drink deeply of this salvation in Christ alone. But in our day, gospel enemies and the world and false teachers have filled them with earth, as it were. And so the access has been hindered. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, for example, liberalism has taken away confidence in the Bible as the Word of God. And so pulpits and platforms of popular preachers are filled with unbelief. There's no confidence in the Bible as the Word of God. And preaching the gospel has been replaced with inspirational thoughts and motivational talks and the, the pushing of agendas. And so they don't tell people that the Lord Jesus is all important for salvation. They don't tell people that they're sinners and they need to come to Christ to be saved and to be forgiven and to find life. They don't tell people that they need to be converted and born again and justified and sanctified. You know, they don't tell people about what will happen when they die. Instead, they say peace where there is no peace. And you know, you've maybe been in places and you've heard it where they say, oh, you know, everyone will go to heaven in the end. It'll be okay, we'll, we'll all get there one way or the other. The Bible doesn't say that. It says that it is appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. That there is a heaven and there is a hell. And it is our relationship to Christ that makes the eternal difference. But those lies and those falsehoods, they're like the earth and the rubble that the Philistines have poured into the wells of salvation. And they stop the blessing. 
And whether it be liberalism or other attacks on the gospel, they all accomplish the same end. And it hinders people from drawing on the blessings of eternal life. You say, well, what are we to do? What are we to do as we enter this new year? Our prayers, our labors must be to see those wells opened again, to make the truth known in every way that we can as we preach the word, as we witness, as we speak with those around us, all means that people may know the truth of the gospel, their great need of Christ to proclaim this wonderful Savior who saves to the uttermost those who call upon him, who will give life to those who are dead. And you know, even those of us who have life in Christ, we need more spiritual depth and to know more of him and how we need to do all we can to bring the truth to bear, to exalt Christ and the water of life to be found in him. And it has to be God himself stirring us to take the rubble away out of our own minds as well out of the minds and hearts and souls of others. You know, all around us, maybe even you this morning, people are going everywhere and it's all broken systems that can hold no water. And you know, they keep digging and drinking until we pray. They'll be confronted by their real need, that their sin needs to be cleansed and forgiven, that our desires need to be transformed, our hearts need to be filled with Jesus. He is the only one able to hold the weight of all of our hopes and our longings. You know, the real water of life is the Lord Jesus. No wonder Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he's referred to those who are awakened to see that this life is not it. You know, we're going to look at that tonight as we consider the rich fool. They're hungering for more than the passing things of this world. They want to know God. They want to know and a result to, to be righteous before him. And where is that righteousness found? Only in the Lord Jesus. You know, God made Christ his own precious son to become sin for us so that in him we might receive his righteousness. That's the center and the glory of the gospel. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, we lack righteousness. We can never accumulate the righteousness we need ourselves. We can never meet God's standard, but God in his love and his mercy and his grace provides it for us in Christ. And it is a gift of his grace. The righteousness of faith whereby a sinner is justified by grace through that redemption in Christ. That's life. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. It's a wonderful picture, you know, of our longing for the Lord. This deer with its unquenchable thirst for water, it's been running endlessly, now needs this refreshment. And God has given it that sense of where the water is. And so it must be for us to run to Christ, the well of salvation, this wonderful water of life that he gives, longing to be filled out of the fullness of Christ. You know, is that your longing this morning? You know, where are you spiritually? What are the things that are, are driving you and motivating you? You know, when our heart is filled with the glory and greatness of God, everything else, as we said right at the beginning, 
it, it falls into its right perspective. And so I ask you, are you you're serious about pursuing God? Do we long for God because we desire him? Is it our heart that he would show us something of his glory? You know, do we cry out with Isaiah, oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down? And do we cry, oh God, we are in such a need of you. The church is barren and dead and powerless. And we need you. We long for you. You know, I, I, I can't stir that up in you. It is God's work and how we pray that God would stir that up in us. That we would long for the presence and the power of God. That we would drink from these wells and be refreshed in our own souls. And who knows when God will be pleased to take the rubble away. And not only ourselves but many others will come to drink from these wells of salvation. Do we long for that? We should, my friends. Christ is the well. This water is the life that he gives, his power and his presence. And then lastly, as we finish, the great joy that comes with it. Isaiah says that joy will attend those who draw from these wells, the joy which we have when we are drinking out of the fullness of Christ. You say, well, how does that get communicated to us? By the Holy Spirit. It is his special ministry to apply to us the saving work of Christ and to convey to us the life and fullness of Christ. Blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace, out of his fullness we receive continual fresh supplies. And we have to, to go with our buckets, as it were, longing to, to draw from the well. And you say, well, what are the buckets? Well, things like the means of grace. You know, we, we should come ready to engage in the, the means of grace, the word of God, read and proclaimed, the, the singing of praises, joining together in prayer, and the Lord's table and baptism. These things are precious. And they give us opportunity to meet with the Savior, to know his presence. And our very hearts and our consciences and our emotions are affected by his presence and the great truths of the gospel. And there are times when we've, we've known and we've felt and our hearts have burnt within us because we have met with him. Because we've had his presence with us as we've drawn from holy things in fellowship together. Those means by which we grow in grace. Do you know, we often, don't we, when we enter the, the public gathering of the Lord's people, we've lived during the week, as one explains, in a state of in Christ forgetfulness. So what do you mean? Well, sadly, often our emotions and our words and our actions have been negatively affected because we've forgotten who we are in Christ and what has been lavished on us in Christ. And so we need to hear again and again and again the amazing grace that is ours in the Lord Jesus because we were chosen before the world began to be in Christ. You know, this grace, it's not just a, a future reality. It provides everything that we need to be what God has chosen us to be and to do what he has called us to do even now. And we simply cannot gather enough and hear too often or think too deeply on the warehouse of blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. You know, these, these buckets of the means of grace to draw from the well. And then prayer. 
You know, when we speak with the Lord and commune with the Lord, we lower our buckets into the very water of life and draw it out. You know, maybe you've known in times of prayer, maybe on your own or with the Lord's people, and you know, we don't need anyone to tell us that the Lord has been there and that we've had that communion with the living God and we've had this this water of life poured upon our soul to the point in which we have have been so full that we could hardly bear any more because we've been in his presence. You know, as believers, when we know his nearness, he gives us such joy. You know, the true gospel, it's such good news. It brings the, the very greatest blessing. You know, the world wants you to think and to believe the lie the true religion, the gospel, the, the, the religion of the Bible, you know, that living relationship with Christ, it wants you to think it'll bring misery and sadness and discontentment and that you're missing out. But it's just not true. What causes despair is to be dead in sin and to not have any hope and to face eternity without Christ and to be constantly running after the world only to find that what you thought was gold is dust. That's what leads to brokenness and despair and trouble. But in Christ, we have lasting joy and we should look for that joy. And you know, we we have something of it now, but we have a glorious future ahead when that joy will be uninterrupted. And so we need to lift our eyes, every one of us, above earthly things. And remember, if we are in Christ, will be soon in the presence of God, in the glory of heaven before him. One of the Puritans, John Trapp, said this, he who rides to be crowned does not much care for a rainy day. You say, what does that mean? Well, our position as believers, the day may be dreary, it may be rainy, certainly has been recently. The horizon of life might be disagreeable, The Lord Jesus said we would have trouble in this world, but we should be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. And in him we can overcome too. And so our great task is to keep going to the well, to drink, to go to Christ. And if you trusted in Christ, received his righteousness, you can bow before him with great joy as your saviour, as your friend, as well as look forward even through tears and pain and disappointment and regret to that day when you will be in God's presence forevermore in the great glory to come when all those things are gone and done. And we're to rejoice in the Lord in good days and bad days because our true blessedness, our true joy is not based in ourselves. It's not in our circumstances or whether we see what we want to see in this life or whether God is pleased to withhold his his blessing or whatever it is, whether we get better or whether we get worse. You know, our joy is not dictated by those things. It is in Christ. And so we always have reason for good hope in him through grace. And around all the wells, whichever they may be, of which we drink. You know, that's why when we come together, when we speak with one another, you know, let our conversation be about him. And his his dying love 
and concerning the Holy Spirit and the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the, the providence of God and God's goodness and faithfulness to magnify the name of the Lord together. There are so many encouragements when we drink from these wells. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Great grace exceeding great and precious promises, all in Christ. That's why one of the Westminster divines said, when I look upon myself, I see nothing but emptiness and weakness. But when I look on Christ, I see nothing but fullness and sufficiency. And when we enjoy this communion with Christ, we are changed. And to dwell on Christ, to consider how short our time is here, but knowing that we have a blessed eternity ahead. And when Christ is our life and dwells in our hearts, we know that fire that burns within and the joy of the Lord. And my dear friends, I want to encourage you this morning, on this first Lord's Day of the New Year, in a dark and cloudy day, here is the way to experience what the world cannot give. And thank God what the world cannot take away. Draw from Christ. Know his life. Know the joy of union with him. Thirst quenched, soul revived. And to know that we are by grace a people with a future and a certain hope. There is much reason to be encouraged. Don't look down. Look up. God is on the throne, and he will remember his own. All blessings in Christ, and all glory to his name. Amen.